0: Guess what, lions? For as little as five dollars a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com/support. Welcome to Felony Friday a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt.
1: Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another episode of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. For those of you that might be new to Felony Friday, this is the show where each and every week we focus on exposing injustice in the broken criminal justice system. This is the 77th episode of Felony Friday. So that means you'll be able to find the show notes with links and notes to everything that we're going to talk about on today's show at lionsofliberty.com slash FF77. Now, I got a really interesting interview coming up here with David Borden. If you're not familiar with David's work, David is a fascinating guy. He was one of the first people... On the internet, really. One of the first people to be building websites on the internet. And on top of that, back in the 90s when he was doing this, he was building a web presence to fight against the war on drugs back in the 1990s. I know it's hard to believe back when most people, like myself, were just logging on AOL and checking their mail here, hearing. Hearing you've got mail and using AOL Instant Messenger and going to chat rooms and just uh just being an idiot, waiting waiting five, ten minutes for your for your modem modem to start up and then just going on there and just wasting your time. David was actually building a web presence, so we're gonna talk to him about that, and I'm excited for you guys to hear about that. Before we do that, though, I want to talk about our sponsor for today's show, MartinArmory.com. Now, martinarmory.com was founded with the simple goal of making buying a gun simple and affordable. Now, instead of carrying thousands of different types of guns, Martin Armory only carries 25 different models. Now, they do carry rifles, handguns, and shotguns, but you're not going to have a wide variety. The 25 best guns, so just the top pickings from each of those categories. Go to Martin Armory right now, and check out the selection. I promise you will not be disappointed. The pricing is phenomenal. Now, when you go there, don't forget, you pick out your gun, you're going through checkout, you're gonna be excited because you're gonna be saving money. They have rebates on some of the guns. The prices you're getting are really, really good. Don't forget to put in promo code LIONS at checkout for two reasons. One reason, we want them to know that you came to them because of us and a second reason, the most important reason, is it gets you free shipping. So go to martinarmory.com, pick out a gun that you want, check out, put in promo code LIONS and get free shipping. And, you know, heck, you can even tell us about it. Come to the Lions of Liberty forum and, uh, and hit us up. Let us know what kind of gun you bought. You can shoot us a message on Twitter, at Lions of Liberty. Let us know what, what gun you picked out. We'd love to, love to talk some firearms with you. So please, go ahead and do that. All right, guys, let's get into today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is David Borden. David is the founder and executive director of StopTheDrugWar.org. David has played a leading role in pioneering the use of the Internet for education and for organizing drug policy reform. This all started after he founded DRCNET, back in 1993. Now David's education and his background, he earned a degree with honors in astrophysical sciences from Princeton University in 1988 and completed a master of music in jazz composition from New England Conservatory in 1990. It's a little background on stopthedrugwar.org before we get started with the interview. Stop the Drug War org works to end drug prohibition worldwide and they have a stated mission of ending the drug war in its current form the organization believes that much of the harm commonly attributed to drugs is really the result of placing drugs in a criminal environment and that the global war has fueled the violence civil instability and public health crises that we see today so Without further ado, David, welcome to Felony Friday.
2: Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, let me just say, since you, um, you read some of our history, that um, maybe not, not all of your listeners uh, remember that back in 1993, using the Internet uh, was innovative, especially for activism. So we were able to help get the movement uh, online at that time. Today, of course, everyone uses the Internet. And lots more people are writing about drug policy, uh, but we still play a role.
1: Maybe that's a good place to start because I'm 35 years or 34 years old. Sorry, and I know back in 1993, I was not using the internet. I probably started using it, I don't know, late late nineties, sometime in there. And still, it was very limited. It was that very slow dial up. We used AOL, and you know, when when the modem's going to dial up. So so back in 1993 when you started how much of a following did you have how much traction did did you gain through that well
2: uh you know the numbers uh took took a while to get, get to where they are, they are now it was a big deal when we got to four figures uh but um it 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 quickly took on a lot of energy people were ready to talk to each other uh, about this issue And uh, there was a need for information about the issue. The the mainstream media wasn't doing a lot to cover uh, the angles that really seemed important. They weren't doing enough, even with the angles uh, that they were covering. Right around that time, this was, I think, November 1993, uh, the Surgeon General at the time, Joyce Lynn elders uh, made a a remark to the effect of uh, Drug legalization being something that's uh, worth studying, it might uh, reduce crime. Now, she was uh, attacked for it from all over the map. The uh, president, President Clinton, didn't uh, uh, really stand up for her, although he didn't fire her right then. Uh, so maybe he did stand up for her a little. But I felt, uh, OK, this, this gets the discussion going. It's time to get active. Uh, But there were, you know, there were groups, not nearly as many as there are now, a small handful by comparison, people working on medical marijuana. uh, There were people who mostly wanted legalization, uh, groups devoted to sentencing reform, uh, groups in the uh, harm reduction side, programs like needle exchange, that sort of thing, organizations dealing with the international issues, the drug war in Latin America. So my, my concept was, well, let's collect all the information, put it in one place, and uh, help everyone find out what everyone else is doing. You know, some people, some organizations will want to get involved in other issues or the bigger issues. Some won't be able to, but uh, we'll be able to help each other. Uh, so it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a formative time. And not long after I had started that up, funding became available in the issue through a grants program uh, indirectly funded by George Soros. So it was the right idea at the right time story.
1: Okay. And I, I actually, it's, it's interesting to bring that up because I, I did just read a, a paper that you wrote. It might've been, was it for Brown University where, where you were talking about that, um, the attorney general at the time during the Clinton administration. And there was one cl- one quote from Bill Clinton that just stuck out to me. I hadn't heard it before. In response to it, like you said, he didn't, strike it down he didn't uh you know fire her or anything but he said that he had no interest in investigating or researching the topic of drug reform which i thought i mean looking back at that today that's just a really incredible thing to say
2: yeah well it it was a different time and and that's the other interesting thing for those of us who've been doing this for for all that time and there are people who've been doing it for even longer but i'm one of the uh most long-timers in the movement at this point, uh, things really have changed dramatically in, in some ways.
1: What do you think has led to that change? Has that been, has it largely been driven by the internet, by social media, by just there being more, more avenues, more vehicles for, for information to get out there? Do you think that has been the driver or has it just been, is, are we becoming um, just more compassionate and aware as a society?
2: Well, I think it's a combination of factors, uh, you know, the internet and, uh, the greater presence of different points of view online, ability for people to talk to each other. Uh, that certainly played a role, uh, the, um, changing views on marijuana policy. Now we're a big picture organization. We work on marijuana reform, but we work on, you know, on other parts of the issue too. Uh, but, um, uh, Public opinion, uh, just mainly as a function of uh, the progress of time and the fact that younger people uh, are more of them are supportive of legalization, uh, have moved that issue to a point where things could get done. Uh, Money coming in to fund these ballot initiatives, uh, medical marijuana, the first big one, California in 1997, Prop 215. And now we have legalization passing. Uh, you know, it, it's become possible because of, you know, because of the shift in public support and because of the money there. There are other parts, parts of this to look at. In uh, sentencing, uh, now it's still a very difficult situation uh, politically trying to change sentencing. And we still have an obscene number of people incarcerated, uh, many of them for drugs and if you follow the uh, chain of cause and effect, probably more get traced back in some way to uh, bad drug policies, even if the charges uh, that people are facing aren't uh, aren't uh, drug specific. But uh, politically, things have really shifted. There's a consensus, uh, left and right, that sentences should be shorter. We should have less of an emphasis on that. There needs to be criminal justice reform. The Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, is one of the few people on the other side of that. Uh, but he's getting a lot of criticism, including from within his own party. He's going to do a lot of damage, but uh, I doubt he'll be able to really turn things back. We've had, uh, and this is in the last several years, leaders ha- have begun to speak out. In Latin America, The uh, you know a number of Former presidents, heads of state uh, formed a group, um, Latin American Commission on Drug Policy may have been the name. It was superseded by the Global Commission on Drug Policy, but um, you know, some of the most prominent people uh, speaking up and talking about the big picture of the issue, putting legalization on the table, not always coming out explicitly for it. Uh, though they they have clearly done so now uh and then um then we saw uh, a number of current heads of state raise the legalization question uh Juan Manuel Santos in uh, Colombia uh there were uh, there were a few of them in in Latin America uh who did that and so that really helped to change the dialogue as well and uh, i guess another thing and this is uh uh an unfortunate way Unfortunate that it had to happen this way, uh, but the AIDS epidemic opened things up uh, for discussing this and for addressing policies because um, uh, the drug war does so much to uh, fuel the spread of of AIDS. Uh, One way it does that is uh, uh, prohibition leads to more sharing of syringes, which are the way that. Diseases like AIDS, HIV, like hepatitis C uh, will spread. But then the more you police that, if you're busting people for residue or just for the syringes, people who are targeted, which is primarily the minorities, will uh, uh, they'll possess uh, their injecting equipment for a shorter period of time as they can in order to reduce the probability of getting arrested for it, uh, which leads to more sharing. So, uh, that's another way that, uh, the issue has been pressed forward. Uh, you know, there's a common, I view this as a, a fallacy or if not a fallacy, then an oversimplification. Sometimes people say, and uh, even some of the more thoughtful people will say, well, by prohib, by banning drugs, we're, um, trading, you know, we're trading a, uh, a uh, public health problem, what we'd have if more people use drugs for a, a criminal problem, the, you know, the crime, the the, the illicit drug trade, the underground that goes along, you know, that happens when you prohibit drugs, but people keep using them. That actually misses something important, which is that the harm that comes from certain kinds of drugs, the more dangerous ones in particular, gets increased on average By making them illegal, Uh, the high price causes all kinds of uh, (laughs) calamities to happen to people, makes the supply of drugs uh, more pure sometimes, uh, which makes them more dangerous. Just having them illegal makes the supply unreliable and uh, and uh, people can get poisoned or overdose because they didn't know, didn't realize how powerful how potent. So the batch they got was, I guess the analytic way to express this, and in uh, one of my papers, I don't remember if I went into the, this in the brown paper uh, that you um that you mentioned, though I think I did. The way this gets expressed analytically is that the average harm per unit drug use is greater under more controlled systems is less under less controlled systems. On the other hand, you might have more people. Trying certain drugs under less controlled systems—it's not a simple thing to say either way. Uh, but um, when people say, uh, "You know, drugs have to be illegal because they're harmful," uh, well, not exactly. They're 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 even more harmful on average uh, right. because of being I, made I th- illegal. I think
1: a, a good a good way. Sorry to interrupt you there, but I think it's important to point out, and you d- one. I think you said it in that Brown paper as well, that legalization is actually regulation. And I think that's really a profound way to look at it. Because when something is prohibited and pushed into the back, alley, back alleys of society, um, there's no regulation. There's, as, as you were just talking about, there's uncertainty with dosage. There's, um, you know, it, it might be you know, certain types of drugs that um, heroin could be cut with that you know, somebody could have a reaction to that leads to a lot of the overdosing. A lot of the times with uh, heroin addicts who overdose, it's not the actual heroin that causes the overdose, it's the things that it's mixed with. So I think a good way of putting it, which is the way you put it in that brown paper is that if you want to regulate the uh, if you want to regulate drugs, if you want to regulate some of these even more uh, you know, powerful drugs like heroin and, and, and cocaine and, and things like that, then legalize them and let's uh, you know bring them into you know actual society so we can you know start to put some regulations in place that that makes sense. Let let the market actually regulate the drug trade as well. Don't let the black market sort of regulate it in a way that makes it more dangerous.
2: Yeah, and that's you know that's where we're at. And uh, you know, yes, there there will be that to regulation are downsides to any system, uh, but uh, the problems that we're creating uh, with the prohibition system are so serious that, uh, in our view, it's just not not justifiable. It's not justifiable to drive people uh, to uh, disease and overdose based on the theory that we're discouraging other people from from using these drugs uh, um, by doing so. That's that's how I feel about it.
1: We're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from the sponsor of today's show. We'll be right back with more from David Borden.
0: I firmly believe one of the most important things you can do to protect yourself and your loved ones is to own a firearm. But for a lot of people, buying a gun can be an overwhelming process. There are just so many options, and not everyone feels comfortable walking into a gun store. Well, our friends at martinarmory.com are doing their part to change that. Martin Armory was founded with a simple goal, to make buying a gun simple and affordable. Instead of carrying thousands of different guns, MartinArmory.com only carries 25. This allows them to focus on providing the most popular guns on the market at insanely cheap prices. And now, for a limited time, their prices are even more insane, as MartinArmory.com is offering Lions of Liberty listeners free shipping. Simply go to martinarmory.com, pick an awesome gun, and enter the promo code LIONS. Again, that's martinarmory.com. The promo code is LIONS.
1: David, you've seen so much change in the time since you've got started uh, being an activist in uh, in drug policy reform and criminal justice reform. Starting DCRNet in 1993, we've talked about the, the obstacles there. I'm sure along the way it's become, you know, it's been very frustrating seeing things not change, and then more recently uh, sort of gaining some momentum. It's probably been very satisfying. Um, what first motivated you to, to get involved in drug policy reform, and what carried you through you know, some of those more frustrating times when it, when it was difficult to advance this agenda forward? Well, um, back again in
2: the 90s, uh, I, decide, I just decided I wanted to save the world. Um, I, I didn't. Have, I wasn't hit personally with something to do with the drug issue, at least so far as I knew. Uh, but uh, the more I read, the more I kept encountering these different aspects of 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 drug policy in ways that uh, you basically one disaster after another. Uh, I kept directly caused by bad drug policies. Uh, I just kept encountering as I was uh, learning more about uh, how the world works. Uh, But I saw um, not many people were really um, talking about the issue at the level that I thought need to be talked about. I, I, it was stunning to me, the idea that, um, uh, we could, we could really reduce types of crime that, uh, you know, that are driving issue, driving problems like poverty you know for example by you switching to a regulation system uh but uh, who was talking about it some people but not that many very prominently uh so it just seemed like it was a useful thing issue to promote that that there was a need for people to work on it then when you know Dr. Elders uh, spoke up it seemed even more like the time to jump in uh I had gotten a sense from some other a- activity uh of the potential of the internet for political organizing, so I decided to uh just you know move forward. Many people in the issue um experienced something directly personal you know either they're a user and don't like being having to hide it, feel persecuted or, or they did get uh go through an arrest conviction or whatever happened, or something worse than that. Uh, lots of people in the issue uh, have been personally uh, affected. I just learned about it and decided it was important.
1: One of the things that I think is is really unique about your organization is that it operates globally. It's working to initiate uh, international drug policy reform. And one thing I came across on your website was... Uh, you're working on organizing a campaign seeking to have the Philippines president, um, Rodrigo uh, du- Duarte, I think I'm saying that right, a uh, very tyrannical uh, leader of the Philippines who's basically come out and said that he's willing to kill anybody uh, involved in the drug trade or is using drugs of, of any kind without any sort of uh, a trial whatsoever, just extrajudicial judi- killings. So what what type of things can can your organization do here in the United States to affect change in, uh, in the Philippines? Well, uh, one thing I've learned working on this is that
2: people in the Philippines are extremely sensitive to what gets said about the country and their president and, and the things going on there uh, in international fora. They say they don't care. They're going to do what they want. Uh, they've shown pretty clearly that they, they care about it a lot hasn't yet produced uh, the change that's uh, needed uh, so we're, we're my organization, we're actually in an unusual position as a result uh, of some work uh, we did uh, last March and unexpectedly uh, we uh, organized a, a, what's called a side event uh, there's an annual major UN drug meeting, these take place in, at the UN in Vienna uh, the Commission on Narcotic Drugs they have uh, smaller meetings throughout the year, but their their main annual session is every March. We received an accreditation with the UN um, Economic and Social Council, which the drug agencies are a part of, uh, which uh, enabled us under our own name for the first time to uh, apply to hold an event uh, during this session. So there were eighty or ninety side events, so there were quite a few. And I decided we'd have something on the extrajudicial killings, um, and so um, um, I, you know, we reached out through us, through some friends, contacts, and uh, unexpectedly, we wound up with um, the vice president of the Philippines, who's a critic of the killings, uh, recording a, a video speech for us to play, because uh, she wasn't able to go to Vienna herself due to other travel coming up. It was hugely exciting, a very powerful uh, presentation she made, and we released it online a couple of days before the event. Time magazine uh, ran it on their website, and uh, it quickly got uh, a great deal of interest in the Philippines. But a few days later, political opponents of the vice president Uh, began to use it to attack her politically. And not just the video, but other things which happened the same week. Uh, A member of the Congress um, uh, uh, filed an impeachment complaint against the president, mainly over the killings. uh, And the European Parliament passed a resolution of concern about the situation. Uh, So the Speaker of the House of the uh, House of Representatives in the Philippines and Duterte's spokesperson claimed that uh, the video release must have been timed to coincide with the impeachment complaint and maybe the European Parliament resolution and that it must have all been orchestrated by the the vice president as a uh, destabilization campaign against the government. Uh, And this turned into a campaign to uh, impeach her, which um, Uh, may or may not happen. So uh, we inadvertently became part of this, uh, (coughs) at this point, you'd say negative um, political event uh, in the Philippines over the vice president's uh, criticism of uh, the president's drug policies. Uh, So, But that also has had the effect of giving us some ability to access the media in the Philippines since I'm the organizer of this uh, event, that the UN event that's famous there. Uh, so, um, you know, we're trying to put good messages out, uh, intelligent discussion of of the issue of what's going on with the extrajudicial killings. We posted the full footage from our event as a presentation by the chairperson of the Commission on Human Rights of the Philippines. Uh, people with expertise about the International Criminal Court, and uh, we're we're looking, you know, we we do communications to the media there, uh, trying to get more press on that angle here. Although the issue of the Philippines and the drug war killings has gotten a lot of attention, uh, there's been less on how the drug war is being used as a tool to go after for the president and others to go after political opposition and to uh, try to centralize more power with themselves. We're trying to get that more into the uh, uh, the Western media, that angle. And uh, we're looking at what kind of organizing can we do with um, do globally with uh, uh, political and legal players and others around the world to uh, increase the pressure.
1: It's it's interesting that in a a country like the Philippines, that I mean, I, I guess I'm saying it from the perspective of the of, of the United States. Looking at our system of of government, um, you wouldn't think. I mean, you wouldn't see Mike Pence criticizing um, Donald Trump on on drug policy. Normally, even if they do disagree, to the public they're they're in lockstep. So it is sort of refreshing to see. Even though you see you know these extrajudicial killings, you know, very horrifying, really it's nice to see that uh, politicians there in the Philippines, uh, the vice president, are speaking out against
2: it. Yeah. Now, it's a different system. Um, Duterte and uh, vice president Robredo were not a ticket. Um, and, and So they, they, were, they were elected separately. Uh, but it's, uh, it's been brave of her to do that, as the attacks on her uh, demonstrate. But it, it is a tough Environment there uh, right now, and so you know there there are still there are some people speaking out. Uh, sometimes they get uh, silenced through one means or another. Uh, but uh, people are hoping that Duterte will his popularity as a new president ultimately will decline as as part of the natural course of things, and that that will open up more uh, possibilities. Uh, for doing something about this
1: yeah, hope hopefully it does because that is just a uh it's a horrible situation um one th- one thing I do want to talk about uh before before I let you go here is your drug war chronicle newsletter i don't know how, but I just found out about it uh, a few weeks ago and it is an incredible resource, incredibly relevant stories for someone like myself who is always looking to learn more about criminal justice reform, drug reform, and looking for a resource where I can point people towards to learn more about it. So I just wanted to, to ask you, you know, where did you come up with the idea for this? What's the, what's really the origin story with this, uh, drug war Chronicle newsletter?
2: Well, our focus from the beginning was, um, collecting and disseminating information. Um, the Chronicle itself, uh, uh, you know, we decided, and a former staff member, Adam J. Smith, um, he's a regular on uh, uh, the Marijuana Today podcast. If you've heard of that, uh, he uh, he launched the newsletter. We we were talking, and we you know there should be a, could be a weekly um, uh, news report on this. And at the time, you could report on all of it. Um, you would write articles about all of it. Uh, we switched a few years ago to daily roundups and other articles as we're able, but that was just the only format where it was possible for us to uh, to even try and and cover everything. So the chronicle is in its twentieth uh, year. It's um, uh, so some don't remember the exact anniversary, but uh, uh, yeah, it was started back then. By my uh, co-worker, uh, who's uh, involved in some uh, cannabis industry-related work in Oregon, right right now. But we've kept it going. Phil Smith, our current writer, has been doing the newsletter since uh, um, May two thousand.
1: And it, it is an outstanding resource. Um, I do want to encourage. Now, link to on the show notes page. I'll definitely link to the Drug War Chronicle. I will link to the website as well. Um, but before I let you go, I do want to ask you to please share with my audience um, how, they can, how they can help, how they can uh, contribute in some way to stopthedrugwar.org. And if you wanna plug or talk about any other projects that you're currently working on.
2: Sure, well, I'd say uh, first you know, subs- subscribe to our email list. You'll get the newsletter, occasional other bulletins, and uh, and you read the stories, follow the links. You'll find not just our work, but the work of all kinds of organizations uh, involved in this. And you'll probably find things you can do in your state. Certainly, things you can do online. So I think I think that's the easiest uh, way to start. You know, um, filling out those online uh, forums, write the Congress, whatever. I know people get tired of them everyone does them uh, um, that's that's the first smallest thing you can do but uh, it, it it helps and it uh, it tells the organizers that you're interested and some idea of what issues uh, uh you're interested in uh, and uh, you might good chance you'll get a, a letter back at some point from a member of Congress or a state legislator and uh that could be what ins- inspires you to get um, uh, get get more involved.
1: What can we do about? Is there anything from an activist standpoint that we can do about uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions? Are there petitions out there that should be signed, or or is it just sort of just to sit back and, and just wait till he gets out of, gets out of that role?
2: Well, uh, I think everyone needs to speak up about um, you know to two things in particular uh one how totally wrong he is to uh push sentencing in a harsher direction again to uh you know take away the flexibility that uh, uh that uh, prosecutors had to charge lower or to reduce, reduce reduce that and secondly that they really need to leave the marijuana legalization system alone uh and you know uh, work with states to regulate it and uh, not crack down, which they haven't said they're going to crack down, uh, but they haven't said they're not, and there have been some ominous moves. Uh, so uh, I think letters to the editor, call your representatives and senators uh, uh, even even the even the good ones who have the right idea and the wrong ones who who have the have the have the wrong ideas uh, really. Make sure they know that uh, uh, we do not want marijuana legalization or sentencing reform to be set back. Uh, We want more of both and uh, they should um, they should be passing language to protect states that do legalization or do medical to allow banking for the industry and to uh, reform sentencing both of these are bipartisan issues at this point to one degree or another so making noise about that i think is the most important thing
1: 100% agree with you and i would just add also sharing this podcast sharing this with your uh, your networks and getting the word out also visiting uh visiting stopthedrugwar.org and especially checking out the Drug War Chronicle newsletter, uh, sharing articles and resources you find there. Uh, David, I want to thank you once again for coming on the show and, and sharing your story. And I uh, want to thank you for way back in, in 1993, being a a pioneer in taking this, this activism online.
2: Well, uh, it was a pleasure uh, joining you today.
1: All right. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed this interview with David Borden, a really interesting guy, a fascinating guy. As I said, pretty incredible that back in the 90s, he was trailblazing a way through taking the fight against the war on drugs to the interwebs, and he's still at it today. So an incredible story. Thank you guys for listening. I want to remind you to go to lionsofliberty.com support to support the show to help us to grow this show, to bring on more great guests like David Borden. And for just $5 per month, that's our lowest tier for joining the Lions Pride, you'll get access to all of the exclusive audio content that we produce. This is all the content outside of our normal Monday, Wednesday, and Friday public feed, which of course has a Monday of Mark Claire with the OG Lions of Liberty podcast, where he just had... Episode 300 this past Monday with Larry Sharp and Jason Stapleton. you got to check that out if you haven't heard it. It It was an awesome episode. And on Wednesday, Brian McWilliams, who has just been killing it with Electric Liberty Land. You better be listening to that show every single Wednesday. And Friday, of course, this show. Like I said, outside of that, we do produce additional content. And that is for our Lions Pride members. We have Conspiracy Theory Roundtables. Um, We have Extra Felony Friday episodes, like we just had one that we recorded this past week, which was released today to our Lions Pride, and I'm going to give you guys a taste of that episode right now. Here is myself and Brian McWilliams talking about the horrible case out of Massachusetts of the 17-year-old girl who convinced her boyfriend to kill himself. Yeah, well, yeah, the, the end text. I mean, that's really that's really all you need to read at the end of this. So. The literal
0: nail in the coffin.
1: Yeah, the, the situation at the end is the the boyfriend finally after they go back and forth, and and this uh, Michelle Car- uh Michelle Carter is saying, "You won't do it. You won't kill yourself. You won't kill yourself. You won't do it. You never follow through with anything. You won't do it." Back and forth. Finally, he's in a uh, a parking lot somewhere. And he actually is, he's he's in the car, he's filling it up with uh, CO2, and he gets out of the car, and then texts, you know, texts Michelle Carter, and she convinces him to get back into the car, to finish the job, finish killing himself, and he kills himself, and then she texts, like, I don't have it right in front of me, I don't know if you do, Brian, it's something like, well, did you delete the text before you
0: did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. make sure she covers her, her tracks. What a bitch. Yeah. God. And, I mean, that shows, and like you said, it's, it's this ongoing, she's goading him into it. She's telling him, she's like haranguing him. She's like a nagging wife, but instead of taking out the trash, it's like, have you killed yourself yet? Are you going to kill yourself? When are you going to kill yourself? You know, it's like just nagging him, this horrible person, nagging him over and over again. And then, yeah, I mean, the fact that the kid clearly had second thoughts, he clearly didn't want to go through with it. He, You know, and, and that's where if you love somebody or even if you're just even if it was just a, if I'm walking down the street and I see a guy get out of a car filled with CO2 and he goes, hey, man, should I get back in this car? I'd be like, no, don't get back in the car. Come here. I'll buy you some milk and a cookie. Like, let's go somewhere away from this car where you're going to murder yourself. Like, any just anybody that's not a sociopath would do that.
1: Okay. Hope you guys enjoyed that little taste there. Hope it's motivated you to go over to slash support and to join the Lions Pride. Help us to fund this show, grow the show, advertise on other shows so we can reach a wider audience. Please consider doing that. We do have additional levels above $5. We have a 10 and a $25 level for our more elite Pride members. At those levels, you're going to get access to more goodies, uh, free t shirts. You're going to get actually at the $25 level, you get a conference call with us every month. So you get direct access to us and you have a vehicle to influence the show and help us to plan our shows and help to plan what we talk about. One last thing that I want to note, guys donor C. Of course, Donor C, founded by a previous guest who Mark Claire interviewed on his show, Greg Lyre, the founder of Donor C. Donor C is an incredible website that allows you to donate anything from a dollar to whatever, $10, $20, $100. And you can see, you can pick the project that you want that money to go to. And we've been working with some other libertarian podcasts. We've been working with a, a group, Walk the Walk which is founded by a member of our Lions Pride, Clint Rankin. And you can follow that group. You can join that group. There's a Facebook page and a Facebook group, Walk the Walk. We've come together and we've decided to pick a a different cause and, and work together to get it funded. And previously, if you've been paying attention, the previous cause was for Esther and it was to get her... Uh, enough money to get her HIV medication and training to run a chicken farm so she could then work on that chicken farm and then serve as a mother to several orphans in the village. Esther was funded last week, so now we are moving on to another cause. This cause is really important, super important, and can have a really big impact on a lot of families. It's out of Malawi, and there's an area there where there's 300 families live there. And they have to walk 45 minutes each way to get water from a dirty swamp. Every year, people die from that village, from diseases they pick up, drinking this terrible, filthy water. And what uh, what this project is going to do is it's going to fund the installation of a high-quality well right smack in the middle of this village. So there's $2,512 left to fund this project as of my recording this right now. So please go check that out at DonorSea. You can actually go directly to the page. if You you can find it in the app. It's actually a project sponsored by Gret Glyer. Or if you want to find it on the, uh, just go to the website. It would be DonorSea.com slash project slash 823. So check that out. Guys, that's all I have for you for today's show. I really, really appreciate you listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.